friends, family and freaks, welcome back to the Bali Rooftop Podcast. Uh, for this episode, I'm chatting with Harlim Ardi. He is a DJ that I've known for quite some time on the music circuit in Bali. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear those pigs squealing in the background, but <laughs> just to give you a real taste of Bali, that's, uh, that's my soundtrack background noise. And there's a rooster crowing, so you've got it all. Um, so for this episode, I chatted to Harlim Ardi. Uh, yeah, he's a DJ working all around Indonesia, and he's someone I know, I've known for some time on the, on the on the music circuit but through this pandemic i've noticed and i'm sure a lot of people have noticed that he is really active uh not just as a dj and and, and within the event scene because obviously that has been shattered um with the pandemic but he's been really active just in helping people out and and noticeably not shouting about it just doing it and so it was important for me to to sit down and have a chat with him about what he's up to and and what that means to him and why he's doing it and what he's achieving and and who he's managing to reach and help in this situation. I really enjoyed the, this talk with him. Um, it's a really down to earth look at what's going on in Bali and how it's been affected by the pandemic economically and how so many people have been uh, just so. unfortunate in this situation and sort of left out in the cold so i won't go into it too much now i'll let you guys listen to the conversation and uh and get to know harlem that way also at the end of the conversation i'm going to wind up this podcast uh playing a track by mata jiwa indonesian duo who performed this track on the bali rooftop a couple of years ago now but yeah it's one of my favorite tracks of theirs under the vocalist has just got that absolutely beyond awesome rock and roll voice that uh you know reminisces on the sounds of chris cornell and just that that timber and tone that you just can't make up and he's supported by reza on percussion here who is a kick-ass drummer and this is back when well it was back before we were doing the full bands on the Bali rooftop so it was already a stretch just uh getting a duo uh, recorded up there um, getting all the gear up and all that kind of stuff seemed way too scary for us at that time. In fact, even this recording, I thought I'd completely fucked up because I had to balance two different recording devices to try and capture the, the vocals and the guitar and then the percussion. And uh, I won't go into the boring details, but let's just say for, a, for about a month after recording it, I was like, holy shit, did I completely screw this? But yeah, we managed to get it together and, uh, and it's an awesome track, so enjoy that. Uh, if you haven't checked out any of the Bali Rooftop performances, go to thebaliRooftop.com or just look up The Bali Rooftop on Facebook or YouTube or at The Bali Rooftop on Instagram. And yeah, you'll find a whole range of awesome performances from both local Indonesian artists who perform and work in Bali uh, and also people that have been traveling through here or international artists that have been performing in Bali uh, like the Black Seeds and Tikitane incredible performances so um, jump on board and, and have a look at that anyway let's get back to this conversation with Harlem so uh, without further ado here he is get off the fucking roof all right Harlem hello hello <laughs> welcome to the Pali rooftop <laughs> welcome to the the earliest morning session I've ever done in my life as a musician <laughs> I'm glad to inspire that you know yeah. well it kind of speaks for 
what's going on with you, which is you just seem – one of the things I was going to say to you is you just seem so busy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's a false representation because we all sort of end up having a representation of ourselves on, yeah. through social media or whatever. But something that I, I – I mean, we don't know each other that well. We've sort of met at gigs and, and things like that. But I've sort of admired you from a distance in terms of how much – you're involved with yeah so i'd love to just know more about what you're doing in terms of all the you know not just djing but all the um the charities and things you seem to be yeah i mean it's more a sense of um keeping myself busy yeah because i try to like everyone asks me like so what have you been up to man i'm like well shit what haven't i not been up to you know (laughs) um it's a good place to be yeah because otherwise you would go crazy you know just kind of sitting around doing nothing it's better to do something uh that's kind of what i always felt and even before all this um pandemic stuff i've always been a person of many hats say Mm. you know doing like event organizing djing and never just one thing and always been keeping myself kind of busy Mm. um but yeah, for this whole entire pandemic time, um, been trying to help as much as I can because I've always been doing charity-based um, events for the last like five years more. Is always try to incorporate some sort of charity aspect into mm. it. So that's um, that's where I'm at right now. And your, I mean, your background itself, like you, you grew up in Jakarta, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're, I mean. It's that classic thing where people always wonder where the accent's from and all that. It's a, it's a classic international school accent, right? <laughs> exactly. And you're, you know you're, you're Indonesian, you've, you're from Indonesian parents. Yeah. Uh, and it's, got, it's through going to an international school that you've gained that American accent. And yeah, well, I was born in America. You were? Okay. Yeah, and um, my parents, well, my mom really grew up in America also, even though she's like Irani mixed. And my dad was born in America, but he's Indonesian mixed. Okay, because so the name Harlim itself melting pot. Right is, there. is that like is that an Iranian name, Harlim? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, Muslim name. Yeah, and yeah, that's why it came. All came from my mom, and but we moved to Indonesia like when I was like five years old. Okay, and really been here ever since, pretty right. much. You know, sporadically going to different places and like living there, but no, really, no more than a year in different places. Oh, all around Indonesia. Oh um, no! Sorry, around the world. If I was oh, if right. I lived anywhere else beyond Indonesia, it was like no more than a year. Oh, gotcha. Okay, you know what I mean. Um, her, her work or your father's work caused you to travel a lot. Yeah, it's it's it just because of like we were we wanted to go try out Australia for a little bit, didn't work out. Moved back to we were gonna go to Singapore for a bit, didn't work out. Malaysia, you know, kind of that kind okay. of stuff. You know, Indonesia just always ended up being home. Mm. And uh, and what sort of work were they doing, like, to be able to go and try out different countries? Um, well, my mom, um, even though she was a she was a doctor before, she was she couldn't practice here, so she was just a, a house mom. I put it in this um, best worst term for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say best term. No, that's not. It's also not. Mate, the she was there <laughs> for you. That's the main yeah, thing. Exactly. You know, that, that's uh, she, she was, was the legend of the house. Was, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, my dad was in always in. I think I got my sense of always trying something new and doing a lot of stuff for my dad. Yeah. He was he was a business consultant for like companies that came into Indonesia and so he was always on a new project mm. and I, I really developed that sense of like jumping on new things from him. Picked up that energy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the best thing <laughs> because <laughs> it, it wasn't really the best thing for him. I mean, to keep jumping from project pr- project is not also the... 
it's not the smartest thing when you want to be a little bit more stable. You yeah, know? Right. So that's kind of like where I move here, do this, do that, do this. You know, gotcha, yeah, you yeah. Know? But it is a, it's a high energy thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. When you've got a high energy within yourself that where you always feel like you need to be doing something, yeah. you're always trying out different things, I guess, and just yeah. trying. So what, what actually brought you to Bali? Was that like a... Was that part of that whole thing for you, just not not wanting to be stuck in Jakarta or? Yeah. Um, when I left Jakarta, it was like around eight, nine years ago now um, when I moved to Bali. And Jakarta at that time was just it was getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, for me, Jakarta's home. My mom still lives there um, and I grew up there, but it's it's not it's not where I want to live ever again, you know? What's the, what's the reason for that? <laughs> it's a, it's a major metropolitan city, you know? Yeah. I, I love city life. Don't get me wrong there, but in small doses and it's very overwhelming Jakarta. Like in it's terms extremely of, overwhelming. I mean, especially for a visitor, yeah. you know, for someone like myself who, when you, when you've been to a number of cities and then Jakarta, I mean, it's so full on in terms yeah. of its full onness. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and it's also, it's like, it's not as accessible as some other cities. You know, like you go to Bangkok and you straight away kind of know what you want to do. Mm. You know, you can, and you can just kind of like roll around and do something and like you, you'll find your way in Bangkok pretty easy easily. Easy to navigate too. It's thing, easy things to, navigate. to set up. So um, you can't well, do that. Jakarta's not, but it's an awesome place if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Like if you have some friends there who are going to show you around or you've got some people to hang out with, it's an awesome place. But if you kind of go there blind or just kind of like, I'm going to go to Jakarta. I have some business I need to do there for like uh, the weekend. I'm going to go there. Oh, man. It can yeah, be- everyone I've spoken to that has just dropped into Jakarta yeah. to check it out has just had a terrible report. And yeah. I, I mean, I used to go to Jakarta a lot just in my party days. Yeah. And it was amazing. Like it was the most incredible place to go and do that because yeah. I always went with people that knew the city and they knew the places to go. And yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny how like you sort of almost get an even better sense of it when it's when it's a place that you need to know to be able to have a good time because yeah. as soon as you're with then you sort of feel like you're in the the private gang within a, within <laughs> yeah, a city yeah. that's got like 25 million people or something you feel like oh I know the special places within this yeah. huge construct that's so hard to get around and then it feels like this yeah well, I know it, I know Jakarta I know I know the secret layers yeah um, and and people that I know that that do live there that that love it it they always say that they always reflected on it about you know they they've got their little places the niche that they've found yeah. within that city that's the thing the i think it's such and, a big it's a big thing it's and it's a of many different layers and aspects mm. you know but it's not like um the cool stuff to be had is more of like a, a small group, like a niche you said, is a small group of people wanting to do something cool for themselves kind of stuff and to kind of like for their own little crew. Mm. And it's like one of the, actually one of the coolest things ever. And you, you love going there, but you, you're not going to find it because it's not, it's not necessarily something that like they did for everyone, but mm. they did for their, like their group of friends and their, and so it kind of grows and then you might find out about it, but then by the time you find out about it, it's like it's not even cool anymore. And you're yeah. like, why am I here? You know? Yeah. So that's the thing about Jakarta is like, yeah, if you just kind of roll up there, it's there's way too much going on. And also like the um the mentality of the people there is pretty fucking hard, you know? And um Would you say that's I mean, my my impression is, has been that it's just so many people trying to make it work and trying to yeah. get just 
survive mm -hmm. in, a, in an environment that's so claustrophobic because everyone's trying to do it on top of each other yeah. that it's not about – it's just about people – being focused on what they want to do and they don't, they don't really have time to look up and try and help you sort out your issue yeah. when they're just so intent and focused on trying to get what they need to do uh, get done. Would you say it's a little bit about that or? Yeah, for sure. You know, because um, Jakarta is like, it's the capital. It's like people go there to make it, you know, and it's like one of those things of like such, um, such different displays of wealth of mm. all different types, you know, like, there's like there's not just low middle class, middle class, and high class. There's like low low class, middle low class, high low class, low middle class, yeah. middle mid class. You know, like in yeah. all different aspects. You know, like on the top, you have these insane mansions that sprawl for blocks, and they have like an like a fleet of cars and people, like an army of staff at their beck and call, down to like some of the middle class who like have an okay life, you know, and they're like, but there's still you know. They're not super wealthy like that, but they're like they're cruising through it, and they can like um, they can enjoy Jakarta. And then you have like the slums of Jakarta as well. And so it's just like, like as you said, it's all on top of each other. It's yeah. not like here's the nice area, here's the kind of nice area, and here's the really bad area. Of course, there's really bad areas of Jakarta, but like even the really nice areas of Jakarta will have like shanty towns kind of on. Uh, one of my <laughs> first impressions, I had an in insane trip to Jakarta the first time I ever went there. Uh, it was very party binge fueled sort of experience back back when I was in my mid 20s yeah and I came to Bali for a holiday and then had had a huge night here and then a, a bunch of friends who travel a lot and partied a lot at the time were like started talking about the stadium yeah yeah and, I, and, I, and they got so wound up in the conversation that yeah. without even sleeping yet they're all like let's just go now yeah. so we ended up catching flights up there and having this insane no oh, it was insane but and that was my first ever impression, you know, I wasn't in the most <laughs> incredible mental state. But, yeah. I, but I remember at one point in the hotel, looking at one, one window and seeing like this sprawling, you know, classic yeah. city view of like high rises and wealth and all that. And then yeah. looking out another window and just going, it was like looking at some devastated part of a jungle area of yeah. <laughs> after the Vietnam War or something. Probably didn't have, like being on a <clears throat> massive stadium come down didn't help with your yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> polarizing thinking. Oh, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, my God, it's so bad. Oh, yeah. this is awesome. Oh, my God, it's so bad. Yeah, not to mention all the schizophrenic <laughs> shit that was going on in my head thinking yeah, hitmen yeah. were coming to kill me, but that's another yeah. whole story. <laughs> yeah, but it's it really is. It's got such a juxtaposition. Even just driving um, from the airport, you – you get that impression very quickly. Yeah. Just looking at like at just the tarpaulin shanty living on the side of the highway at some point yeah. and under underpasses and things, it's quite shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons. Like, we get to get back to it is one of the reasons why I left Jakarta. Is that like, when bef right before I left, I was like working hardcore. I was getting up at like five o'clock in the morning to get to my first job. Um, I was teaching at that time, and it's like I was teaching English, which was one of the best gigs for like an expat kid mm. in Jakarta. It's, it's teaching, you know, like if you especially don't really have a degree in anything, you kind of get your certificates and um, teaching English. And so, but I was making mad money, you know, and I was working for it. I was like doing like the the beginning of like the like a proper school um, English teacher in the early morning into early afternoon. Then get back to to like the area, the main area of Jakarta, and then teach at like um, 
English first, kind of our business school, English schools, that kind of stuff, all the way until like nine o'clock at night, wow. yeah, Monday through Friday, and then weekends just obliterate myself because yeah. you know we've been working so hard. But like you make mad money there, you know, yeah. it's a city life, and um, that's kind of like it was not a sustainable lifestyle kind of thing you know like you spend so much time in traffic super burnout and i was like wow and i was also i really burned myself out with teaching Mm. as well um i didn't i was like this is not what i want to do i'm not going to be a teacher for the rest of my life so i will get back to that point later but um yeah then i was like i I want i want to see where events going uh, djing and all this kind of stuff and so that's kind of one of the main reasons to move to bali was that like when I'd be coming home from some of these like jobs and stuff, you'd be driving through these like little roads and it's seriously like you drive through someone's house. I swear to God, there's like this guy's like house what? <laughs> and his like little patio, like his like meter squared patio of like for his him and his whole entire family. And is he like out there smoking a cigarette? And seriously, like the road just like went right in front of his chair kind of stuff. Wow. That's, like one of those like little um Jalanticus like little yeah. shortcuts kind of yeah. things through and you're like, this is insane. Like yeah. people were living seriously on, on top, top of, of each, each other. other yeah. Know? There's yeah. The, there's some amazing I can't remember where it is. It might be in India, but footage of a of a marketplace that's over the top of a railway line and they actually, when they hear the train coming, they all pull everything down and they're so good with the timing now that you can, there's a bird's eye view, like a drone view of it happening where you see everyone just literally pulling all the tables down, pulling everything to the side and then the train just flies through and then they just reset it up (laughs) and it's it's just this regular thing. They're so used to the timetable. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like that's, that's amazing just to be living in that sort of environment, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not good for anybody, you mm-hmm. know. Like, I mean, people have gotten used to it, but then, like, from an outsider point of view, you're like, "No, nah, this is not normal," you know. And actually, I, I know a lot of people who've moved to Bali from like Jakarta and like proper Jakartans, and they're like, they're saying the same thing. It's just like Jakarta is just such a a beast that they don't want to be a part of anymore, you know. And it's mm-hmm. like the rat race, the whole entire... I mean, that energy that you have when you're younger, the, the energy that just loves to party and loves to be caught up with, you know, who, meeting new people and being part of their lives and all that kind of stuff, it really has a time limit. I mean, yeah. to keep... You just... That energy just... You, you can't keep it up. And yeah. eventually... I mean, I do know the occasional Superman freak who's, you know, who's still keeping that up <laughs> all, all, as, as they get older. Yeah. Um, and I actually have full admiration for their ability to do that. But, but for me as well, I just, you know, I find those days where I was partying a lot and then really busy trying to get things done during mm-hmm. the day. I mean, it just, you just get worn out. Yeah. And if you're doing that constantly in an environment where you can't even then take one day out to go and be in a really beautiful, open, nat- natural mm-hmm. environment. I mean, there's a lot to say for nature and how yeah. an open space and cleaner air and a view of the stars and yeah. the, the, you know, the feeling of real sun on your skin mm-hmm. just to refresh the body and all yeah. that. So were you coming to Bali for a lot of holidays and that sort of got you into the mindset of moving here? Yeah, um, pretty much. Um because my aunt lived here the whole entire time. She lived here for a long time. Tina was doing events here. And like once it really kind of inspired me to Oh, Tina's your aunt? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I always thought she was your sister. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're, we're, we're pretty close in age, actually. Because my, my dad was her like way older brother. Right. Even though it's older brother, like there was a big age difference between them. Gotcha. And 
yeah, she kind of, she inspired me to move out here with like mm. the whole entire events. And I was like looking at the, the Yak magazine. She'd always send it over to us and she'd kind of be like, look, I'd be flipping through it. And I'm like, wow, this looks so much cooler over yeah, here. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. like there's like parties and like beachside and all this stuff. It would like, look so, I can imagine for, <laughs> for a city kid in Jakarta yeah. to see that kind of a lifestyle represented in a magazine that yeah, your sister's yeah. work, your you know, working for. Especially, I, I love electronic music and <clears> I'm like, I've always been like, DJing has always been my hobby for a very, very long time. And that compared to Jakarta lifestyle, nightlife compared to you see like the Bali like parties and stuff and like mm. you seeing pictures of double six beach in its heyday, you know, and you're like, yeah. Whoa, what is this? You know? Yeah. And yeah. So that was like a big thing. I was like, well, let me go and try to move to Bali and see what happens. Mm. And it's kind of like what started the journey. Yeah. No, so there's a real, there was a real, I mean, I don't sense it now. One, I don't go out the way I used to, but, but also just the, the change in climate of how many people are here and, the way things have sort of developed that way, there used to be such a feeling of almost family and, you know, the familiar face, the familiarity of people that you'd see going out and, and yeah. whether it was like just going to a cafe during the day and seeing the same faces that you saw in the club the night before because yeah. it just there just weren't enough people mm-hmm. to make it, to get lost, you know, yeah. like it was a real familiar crowd. You'd, and, you know, even myself... Uh, knowing Tina from back in the day, we, I didn't know her too well, but she was such a familiar face on mm-hmm. the scene. You know, we, we all just, all those faces. So I can imagine even for you seeing seeing uh, the Yak magazine and you'd probably have seen a lot of the same familiar faces in yeah. that crowd and and, it, and moving here, you probably would have been like, oh, you're the people I felt like I was getting to know from a distance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is kind of like why, I mean, we're flashing forward right now. Um, like the Hunter with the Hunter before pandemic times, before um, COVID hit and stuff, I see that Bali was like not kind of in the place where people wanted when they moved here, you know? Like when you get, like what you're saying about this whole entire, like you go out and you get this whole entire kind of family vibe, you know people. Like before, I mean, I mean for me, I go out all the time and I said DJ and get see, like there's like sometimes where I'd be going out and I I know nobody here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean it's good for business in one way, but it's also it's like it's not sustainable, this whole entire just like shifting of people and they're really lost like its vibe in a sense. I think especially for the people who lived here, when they go out, they're like I don't know. This is like it's not the it's not the kind of the same energy. There's always a very different energy that comes into play when mm-hmm. you don't have that that tribal recognition of the people you're amongst. Yeah. I mean, there's a you know there's all those studies about try. I think it's 150 people is the maximum amount of people that can live in a community before um, reputation starts to be lost. And mm-hmm. reputation amongst others is what sort of keeps us all in check with each other in terms yeah. of not wanting to offend or hurt because you recognize all those people around you and you feel responsible. Uh, your your behavior feels responsible for how they react to your behavior. Yeah. And as soon as you start to lose that and you start to lose that feeling of, of recognition and the people that you, you see when you go out, then of course, in comes whether it's petty crime and things like that because you can get away with it or just a, a feeling of being a stranger and lost with it and, and anxiety and depression and not f- having that feeling of family yeah. um, through friendships around you and all that kind of stuff. And that on a bigger scale has a lot of adverse effects when it comes to a, a place like Bali where people are just storming through it. Yeah. They're, the respect for the local community and the respect for the environment, all those things start to get lost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that's the kind of like what we saw before all this hit was that like it was exponential growth and unregulated growth. You know, just like let's try and get as many people here as possible. Like, let's not care about the waste management. Let's not care about waters. Let's not care about this. Let's just get people here. Let's build another hotel of 80 rooms that, and just fill it up, 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 you know? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool for like event organizing and stuff. You're like, okay, yeah, we can like populate, we can get people in, you know, but it's like, does this event actually mean anything now? Because you're just like, you're seriously just focusing on the bar, and it's mm. kind of like what happens with um, uh, Bali nightlife is to really just focus on like, okay, how much money can we make? How much money? It's not like about like what kind of music you're gonna be playing, what kind of people you're gonna be bringing. It's like, are they gonna be spending money at the bar or not? You know? Mm. Yeah, it's such a yeah. It causes such a different environment, doesn't it? When there's a focus on the pure numbers side you know it, yeah. it's almost like uh, and, a, and a human emotional experience becomes binary because mm-hmm. you take out all those emotional responses to something and you just translate it as as figures on a page yeah and it's and as soon as you do that and you lose that whole edge to what really gives someone a, a great experience yeah for and sure. yeah and that's and i guess that's why so many clubs here and uh and popular spots would be quite momentary you know they'd be like because people wouldn't feel i mean things become become quick and momentary when people don't feel too attached to them yeah and they don't feel like they there's no loyalty to that thing because there's no long-term ingrained you know growth of of uh, all those memories and experiences that keep yeah. you tied to a place mm-hmm. so i guess yeah like that that's that's yeah it's a really good point with the with the um with the bars and all that kind of stuff, yeah. when people are just focused on how much cash is coming over the bar, yeah, you'll get good cash over the bar for a few months, but yeah. as soon as the next place pops up, this is why you have such high turner- turnover of places here. Mm. Like, there's no clubs that have been here like for a really long time, except for like coup d'état, mm. and the reasons why it's here is kind of different than because it's still you know like yeah. there's like all these places that like you don't really they just big change yeah. you know and um it's like for example a place like uh red ruby now it used to be mint and it used to be something else before that the place is this like the exact venue spot <laughs> location yeah. is the same but it's a turnover of the the people running it the whole entire thing because it's just like it not necessarily that place as the example but everywhere else in you and um using it as the example it's just yeah, there's no loyalty to the place. Mm. There's like, as soon as there's something cooler to do, as soon as there's something funner to do, everyone just shunk, you know, and... It really does change with, with the amount of people and everything passing through a place, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, back, you know, back 10 years ago, there was still a lot of, pl- like, you know, Double Six Club and there were places mm. that that had been around for a long time and people that would come back here on holidays. I mean, I know we're talking more about clubs than anything else but yeah but um they sort of are a bit of an example of how how things move and change yeah like people would come back to to bali after years and they that club that they used to go to would yeah. still be there and all yeah. their memories of hanging out there would still be there and, and so they'd go back to that same yeah. place but then it very quickly changed once the crowds blew up and yeah. there wouldn't you could go you could come here and then come back six months later and that the, the whole landscape would be different yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like that into restaurants and cafes also. Mm. There's like always a new cafe popping up and like some of the... This is kind of like where um, 
I'm kind of sad about what's happening during the pandemic is that like there I see some new places popping up right now in the last like year um because some people have some money and they're like the rules have changed a little bit they were they're trying they were trying to um get like more investors into Bali like so there more cafes were kind of opening up but and they're going to have the money to kind of keep themselves going until I think hopefully the pandemic actually ends this year or mm. shit gets back to normal in a way. But it's like these places that are three years old, four years old, that kind of like were cruising by before this happened. You know, they, they weren't like maybe when they first opened up, they were really awesome and everybody went there. But then over time, they kind of just started to cruise through and like like not necessarily making a mad amount of money, but they were like enough to support their staff, enough to support yeah. their thing. And then when this hit, I think those places are the ones that are really not going to reopen or not going to be mm. able to get themselves back on their feet. Of course, Bali is going to continue going on. Still parties going to be happening. There's nightlife is going to be happening. The whole entire beach club, um, cafes and restaurant thing. It's going to keep going no matter what, you know, Bali's going to be Bali, but it's like, and unfortunately some of the people who've made commitments to here and helped help the scene and helped support locals, you know, employed people they they actually might be hit by this and not be able to reopen. And that's, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest shames right there. It's oh, like, it's sad. you know, there's like a, there's a people, people who, who've devoted time to Bali, who have loyalty to Bali, you know, and, they're, they're not going to have, like, they don't have the cash flow to do that reopening thing of, mm. like, yeah, we're back, you know, here, we we have a new menu, we have this, we have, like, new new little new concepts, so you guys should come and check us out again, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall back on, like, guys, please support us, you yeah, know, like, oh, we're yeah. trying their best right now, and I think it's kind of working, people, this whole entire please support us method uh, but again, there's the people who want to support only have so much money yeah, to support, absolutely. you know, yeah. like, um, of course I would love to go and eat at my favorite restaurant every single day to support them, but I don't got the cash to do yeah. that, you know, to, you know, it's kind of like if I do go out, I have to think, kind of think about it a little bit of like, where do I actually want to go? You know, it's not like before it's like, let's have lunch here. Let's have dinner here. Let's have after drinks here. You know, it's, yeah. it's not that anymore. You know? Yeah. I mean, Bali was such a place of not eating at home. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never, this is the most I've ever cooked for myself, you know, <laughs> since I've lived, since I've moved Did you start Bali. making bread? Um, <laughs> no, but, but when Phil was living up at the, up north with me, he, yeah. he went, he got straight into bread making oh, and no. I was just, it was cracking us up. I crossed the, <laughs> <laughs> the whole world turned into bread makers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I did get it. Yeah, the cook, I started roasting chickens and doing things that I've never done before. You yeah. know, the, you know, now I cook for myself all the time. But but Bali used to be so much about who you bumped into when you went out. Like yeah. you, you just you just pick a place to go and eat and you're bound to see a familiar face there and then yeah. and a whole new interaction is going to start up and anything could come out of it, you know. But yeah, I mean, there's also so many businesses that have been... Well, not just the longevity of how long this is, you know, how how far this has gone, which just no one, you think you can survive and then you you sort of map out your savings and, mm-hmm. and you never expect that it's going to go for this long. Yeah. But also the false starts, like the, you know, yeah, there's been man. so many times where but, but everyone in Bali has been told, we're, it's all going to get back to normal, we're going to start opening up and we're going to open up the airport again. Yeah. People have gotten everything ready and done what you you were just saying. You know, they've started like, oh, you know, this is our new look. This yeah. is our new menu. And then bang, they're hit. You've got to shut by 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, and yeah. Restaurants are failing. Well, nobody's really have talked about this, but this this whole entire New Year's fiasco, 
really was something very big and it just kind of got swept underneath the rug. About, you mean uh, the, the, the shutting down? The shutting down of New Year's. That was so intense, man. Like it was, I was, I mean, I, I was up north, so I was away from it all anyway. But, yeah. but I remember thinking after the year everyone's had, yeah. you would think even just mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. give people a moment just yeah. give them a moment. And I get that if like, if you can't have massive gatherings and all that kind of stuff, then weeks in advance, yeah. like let people know in advance that that's unfortunately not going to be a possibility. But yeah. but it was, wasn't it literally like 5 p.m. on New Year's Eve that they were, everyone was told they had to shut down by 11? So you couldn't even just do the countdown together? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really bad actually because um, what happened was that government was like kind of um, pushing this agenda to get influencers to Bali, trying to like really push the tourism aspect yeah, of Bali. Yeah, a huge It, it was a really big thing like that. for yeah. months leading up to it. And like even like in November or like late October, they were doing this big visit Bali thing, visit Bali thing, get all the domestic tours there. Everyone got to go to Bali. And like they were pushing it. Even then it started like that started to build globally. Like Bali's safe, come to Bali, come to mm. Bali. And then in, like, even to the point where it was, I mean, this is really bizarre. <laughs> we're like the, the, looking back at like this, just this little last few months of the year of like, they were injecting money into like businesses. They were like, handing out grants and loans. Yeah, I and saw stuff. some crazy figures of what they were um, spending on giving free holidays to, to influencers, like to yeah. Instagram influencers. It, it, was, it was a really it insane was, amount of money. It was, because nuts, it, it, was, yeah. it was, I mean, it was a smart thing because it as you was actually working. As someone who like observes all of this, I saw it working. I saw more tourists wanting to come. I saw like people are like, oh, Bali looks safe because they have all those Instagram models there and stuff. You know, it was like, yeah, yeah. it was actually working. And then boom, it, like not even two weeks out from New Year's, they say we're going to have to cancel New Year's. All the flights, all this new reg- It wasn't like necessarily cancel your trip, but it's like now you have to get like five different tests and this, all this, like, there's like, there's like a certain amount of times. Like, if you're going to leave at this time, you have to get this test and all this stuff. And it's like, it canceled a lot of people's um, um, plans. Yeah. You know, and like from, from the person who's wanting to go, like, let's look at like a, a normal Jakarta family. Guy wants to bring his wife and three kids. Now that's, you have to take two tests. That's like around 10 tests that he would have to pay for just so he could go to Bali in a year that money hasn't been completely flowing in. Yeah. So that's why you got all, so many people like that canceled. I mean, a huge amount of output of cash in, for all that sort of stuff. But yeah. then also just the, when you, when everything's temperamental and all of a sudden things keep changing yeah. at the last minute, yeah. how can you plan anything, you know, yeah. especially if you've got a family and work to work around? Well, then like now focus on the venues <clears throat> who were planning that they, like for the first time in their whole entire year of 2020, that, that they have 75% booking rate, you know, like they actually had occupancy ready to come. So when you have occupancy, you start to plan, okay, we're going to have a New Year's event. Let's buy extra food. Let's buy decorations. Let's prepare the everything. Let's do uh, maintenance. Let's do a whole entire clean down of the whole entire venue. And they get canceled. Brutal. That I think that like, they haven't really talked about this, but I think there's like quite a few people who've actually, that was the last, that was the str- that was the 
that was the nail in the coffin. I can imagine. You know, because Absolutely, like I yeah. think some people like took out like, okay, oh, I know I'm gonna make maybe a hundred million from this little last week of the year. So I'm gonna take a loan out for twenty million. Yeah. You know, and like get that little extra thing in. But then bam, everything canceled and like all the decor makers who already had to like already planned also like it's this is the thing about how how unstable of economy Bali is, is that like little things like this just kind of trickle down. Like, okay, this massive hotel just spent a bunch of money on decor, staffing, food, florist, everything, maintenance, ACs, everything. And then boom, they got canceled. So they have to cancel everything. Now all those AC repairmans, the florist, mm. the, the, the fishers, this, everything just went. And imagine how many people had, you know, had begun making orders that then weren't paid for and yeah. just all the way down. Or they, they had to do down payments. Mm. This is where, this is like a lot of stuff in Bali has to, you have to do a down payment, right? Yeah. And so I'm 100% sure people were taking out loans so they could do a couple down payments to get their stuff ready because they, they did the math and like, ah, I will make this much for New Year's, mm. this whole entire little New Year's weekend, week, whatever it is. They're gonna, they, they could see X amount of money coming in. So they're like, okay, to make that X amount of money, I'm going to spend this amount of money to make sure I can get there. Yeah. If it's, it's smart business if it went through, mm. you know, and it would have been like that one little thing that they actually made some money. But I seriously think this is the thing that's going to really, that really kill. <laughs> like, it was just like that last little thing in like 2020 wasn't over yet. Yeah. You know? I mean, I spoke to a lot of people that, that had, organized either an event or organized their venue and gotten it gotten it souped up and ready and yeah. put the extra staff on mm-hmm. and even just the you know beyond just the financial devastation of that just the mental crushing of like even having to look you know how many people look at their staff as family like to be yeah. able to, to have to say to your staff again yeah. i'm sorry because then who looks like the bad guy you know you're the boss you've told them they've got work again you've told yeah, them to yeah. come in and get set for a shift and they've organized their time and a lot of people too of um to get through this of when they've lost their jobs through hospitality have, have moved back to their villages yeah and so that's like if you're being called back into work that that doesn't necessarily mean you know a couple of hundred meters on a motorbike that could mean coming all the way back down from the yeah. from the north and um, and moving back down and paying a month's rent and a cost down here. That's and the thing, also. Yeah, that's like one of the big things when this first started was that. Yeah, there's like of course everyone's kind of mostly Balinese who live here, but they're like their actual house is like in Singaraja or wherever mm. it may be, and so like they rent costs near to where they live. And so when the lockdown happened and people were stuck in these costs with like no money coming in and Again, that's, that's going to be something as well. Like a lot of people are just like, we have to leave. We And it was what some of the stuff also was during this first start in the pandemic, people didn't know what was going on with the virus. They didn't really understand. They're like, these people didn't want to go back to their homes, even though they didn't know if they got back home, they'd be okay. They could get some food and stuff. So they like stayed inside these coasts because they didn't want to bring the mm. disease back with them to their hometown. You know, like, yeah, they're, they're maybe here working by themselves, but they got their family, they got their wife and kids up in their their village, and they were like, they didn't want to go back. It wasn't that like they wanted to go back, but they didn't they didn't know if they would be bringing the virus or something, mm. you know. And it's a lot of like 
this has really affected a lot of people. Especially within the villages. The, I mean, look how blurred the the information on Corona has been yeah. anyway, like when you've got total access to information. And then you times that by going into a village situation where there's limited access to internet and information yeah. and, and, uh, and the rumour mills are going wild in terms yeah, of yeah. how it works and what it means <clears throat> and how it spreads. I guess there'd be, even if you know that you're clear of the virus, you'd be sort of aware that there's kind of that possible leprosy mentality that if you go back, that yeah. people could be looking at you like, did you bring it into the village? And yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's so much going on in that environment, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. It's really like a, the more we discuss it and like talk about it, like the more bizarre it is. Because yeah. when this first started, like this, the PCR test, the antigen ch- test weren't widespread yet. People, you didn't really get to have the test. So it was really just like, Oh, is this person sick and dying? <laughs> you yeah, got it. You know, yeah. that's when, like, when the the early days of this, and so like they had all the people coming back from the cruise ships, and there was a big sti- stigma there. Anybody who kind of came, if anybody who had like a slight fever, and they showed up, and they're like, oh my god, yeah, like yeah, yeah. ostracize him, you know, get him out of here. And it's like that was like what people were dealing with, and like mm. we have come a long way <laughs> in this short amount of time about the understanding of it and the whole entire things and. What's the severity of it and all everything everything that goes into it, but like flashback to when this first started, everyone was like, "Oh my god, what's yeah, it was going really, on?" It know? was really full on. Hey, like yeah. the, the reaction, like yeah. Even when I moved moved up north, and you know, I, I've been in a small village up there to to get into that. You know, my cousins married a, married a woman from that village, so they've got a house up there. Mm-hmm. But for even for me to go and stay in that village, I went to the head of the village and had to explain myself and show him that I show him my doctor's certificates and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. To, but even with all that, anyone that came into the property and visited, there was a, that you could really sense that like this. What what's going on? Is he brought the virus yeah, yeah, in? Yeah. You know, and and you could just tell there was so much going on in the back of people's minds that you got a sort of just that lack of real understanding of how the hell does this thing work? Yeah, and I guess the. You know, with, with something where you have immediate repercussions, like within 24 hours you've got fevers and all that kind of stuff, sure, you could at least spot whether someone did bring something in, but yeah. but there's almost a backlash to this being not so harsh and that is yeah. that no one really knew who was carrying it. Yeah, yeah. And no one knew what that meant. And, and was it a whole... Um, what's it asymptomatic thing yeah. or like somebody like what the thing like if maybe you have it or maybe you're just a carrier. Yeah. That I think really like fucked those people's heads, you know, yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> How many things were fucking with everyone's heads throughout this whole last year? I mean, there's just so much to deal with in these situations. Isn't yeah, there? yeah. I mean, so you've, I mean, you've been drawn into a whole world. You know, we're talking about all the the negatives of this whole situation, mm-hmm. but but you've obviously been drawn into a world where you are able to be doing something to sort of give back in the, in all this, right? I mean, one of the main charities you're you seem to be involved in a lot, but yeah. one of the things you're involved in is a is a a charity helping the hospitality industry itself, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, give us a lowdown on that. Um, yeah, because I mean, I've always been doing like charity events, kind of um, always bringing, bringing awareness or trying to raise funds for things for so long. And that's why this, this last year, it Bali hospitality movement just kind of sprung up from... It was born out of this? It was born yeah. out of this. And it, what really happened was that... Um, the GM of the place I used to work at, he was trying. Um, I used to work at Lost City, yeah. And uh, my good friend Made, he was trying to feed his workers, um, and it just kind of like he was trying to. So he he got some like of his Australian 
customers, clients from from who had a really good time at Lost City one time, and they're like, "Oh, we wanna we wanna support. You know, you, what do you guys need? You guys need some food packages." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me, I want to organize that." And so it started from there. And he was like, "Wait a second. There's actually because he's 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 been in the bar industry for so long, uh, Monday. And he's he knows everyone kind of in one way or another. And he saw that how everybody was like." If this was just his venue, what about every other venue? Everybody is going to be mm-hmm. kind of going through this. So he came to me and a few other guys, and we kind of came together. I was like, we need to do something, you know. Um, we got a few bar managers, alcohol distributors, uh, me as a DJ and event organizer. We kind of like saw that we're in a position to help, even though we're like we're struggling at this moment also. Um, but it was like we need to focus on the bartenders, the daily workers, the janitors. Those are people who got hit really hard. And they get lost between the cracks because they, you know, a lot of those people, when everyone's sitting around sort of talking about all these businesses that are losing out, mm-hmm. it's very easy to skip over the people that you sort of don't focus on in those, yeah. in those environments. And, you know, the guys that come in and clean when, when, that you don't mm. see once you've yeah. left the building, you know, that yeah, yeah. you forget that they're, they're absolutely lost and suffering. You know? Yeah. Mm. Because also like with this, those kind of businesses, they, they have a lot of like people who are actually on staff and people who just like the daily workers who just kind of came for per night basis or whenever they're hired and so those people actually are really were in a dangerous position because they don't have a clear um, employment. It's gig by gig basis, right? And so they don't they don't get all those benefits mm. and this kind of stuff if you have an employer. So uh, many people like that, man. Yeah. So many people just on that cash in hand kind of basis. Exactly, yeah. you know, and it's like I mean it's fine when stuff is good, but when shit hits the fan like this, this is when the the problem was. And well, this is why we actually we went to the venues with the no shame thing, you know, it was like, we're not here to shame you because you cannot pay your employees. We're just asking, do you need help? Mm. And we've tried to keep it positive like this because there's, there was so much like we were talking about just a second ago. It's like, there's so much bad information going around all this stuff. Mm. Like, and you're just like, let's cut through all of that. Like you venue, we know that you're a million dollar venue, but do you need help? You know, mm. and that's kind of where it started, like because a lot of places like shut down straight away and not even like the million dollar venues, they don't make a million dollars a night. You know, it's, it's, it just doesn't work that way. So it's like they don't have a big cash reserve to like, oh, we're going to we're going to keep everybody on board, even though there's no work. It, it just doesn't yeah. work like that. So that's how we started was about like, OK, give us your red zone people that you who have been working for you but have like who are in really bad position give them give us their names and mm. like we can get them a rice package or some baco and, and this was all being okay so you're getting the the, the numbers and the names and, yeah. and the people that you can help out how did you initially work out just the volume of what you needed and where were you getting that volume from is it was it purely through those just it all started with a, with a small customer base of people that used to come here and, and yeah. wanted to help out and it spread from there. Or? Yeah, well, because we straight away like we straight away jumped onto the getting the associations. We we worked together with the hotel association, bar association, food and beverage association, restaurant association. All of them has given them given us their thumbs up and signature to be part of the group. And okay, and so we from that sense. 
we were able to officialize, even though we're, we're not official like Yayasan or charity in that sense foundation. Um, but we were able to legitimize ourselves and show people like, look, this is an actual database of people who are not working, who are in need. And then we went to like, we had people who wanted to help and, Actually, the, through this all, one of the biggest people who have helped us the most is actually alcohol distributors. Oh, wow. You know, and I was really actually happy with that because they're the people who made the most money mm. off of this whole entire time. You know, you, you always look at the fancy beach clubs and you're like, wow, that place is so cool. It makes so much money. It's like, they're not, but yeah. the alcohol suppliers are because alcohol in Indonesia has such a high tax. Cocktails are pretty expensive here. Mm. It's com- comparative, you know? And so it was really cool, actually, that they we, we had help from Bacardi, Campari, all these like different people kind of like um, came together as organizations and um, donated some some good amount of money for it to help us. Oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah. And how many people were in, like so? That all just started with you guys chatting, and then yeah. as it spread from there, how many people got involved, and how many people are involved now? Um. So. We started like with a core group of eight people and then we had all the like organizations kind of jump on and they sent a representative. Um, this was in the early days. And then actually we've dropped um, because like even Made who started us had to leave. Mm. He had to leave us because um, he's like, it, it's, it, it's funny because I remember talking in the very beginning of this. He's like, yeah, man, I'm going to be all right. I got my savings. We're going to be good for like, you know, like and give me four or five months, you know, everything. <laughs> when we get down to the other side of this, everything's going to be all right. Those four or five months. Four long, or five months <laughs> seems like so long ago now. I <laughs> yeah, thought right? the same thing, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you're just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pull through this. I'll deserve a holiday for myself. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And everyone's kind of had this like, yeah, I got my savings and everything. So like, and by the end of those four or five months, um, Mane came to us. He's like, man, I, I have to find a different employment, you know? Yeah. And so this is like a re- real um, example of what happened here. You know, it's like the, even the people who started at this, like, yeah. It's okay, you know. It just it dragged on for so long, and I mean, Bali's been through a lot. We've been through the Bali bombings. We had volcanoes and this kind of stuff going on, and it's a volatile place in itself. But it's never been a global thing. Yeah, like when the Bali bombs hit, like the world was still moving forward. Yeah, and the world, like once once sort of that passes and it moves away from the mainstream news and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, the political amnesia kicks in and people sort of forget that something bad happened there and yeah. they've still got their money to spend on holidays and yeah. they're flooding back. But Yeah, or they even like um, on the positive side of that, they, they want to come and help. Like, oh, Bali went through some shit. Like we should go and help yeah. them. Can, that kind of thing. Same thing with the, when the volcano hit, when like, yeah, when it wasn't uh, an emergency danger anymore, people were like, oh yeah, let's get back mm. to there. And that was like only like actually two, three weeks at most. Yeah. And, and even that had a huge ripple effect. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. You know, even that, that, but there's still people who came back, mm. you know? And this is the biggest thing is that throughout this all is like the people who are even the most high up in terms of wealth were deeply affected by this, mm. you know? And this was like the, like they keep saying the great reset because we've seen that it wasn't just Bali got hit, but all of Indonesia got hit. It wasn't just Indonesia that got hit. The whole entire globe got hit, not just Asia. It was just, you know, some, because there's been times throughout history where like, like the, I remember I lived here in Indonesia when the, the Southeast Asia market crashed. 
you know, and that was really big. And like living around in Southeast Asia was crazy, but the rest of the world was fine, mm. you know. And then just like, everything times like that happens. There's other people doing it right, but this was the first time where everyone, every single country, every single person, every single. I mean, of course, there's like a few exceptional people, but even they were affected by this. Yeah, when everyone's in the in, in a body of water, then everyone's drowning, and there's yeah. not one person that can reach down and pull you up to where they're safe. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty uh, hopeless situation. Yeah. Well, um, so how many like where is it at now? Like you know, Marte's left, but and you yeah, said so we we dropped crew, down but, to three people, okay. me and three people. Well, who's who's doing all the the food dropping and, and all that themselves? Like that's a that's a lot of food to be dishing out to people. Are you, have you set up a, a sort of base camp where people come and grab food or how yeah? Do, how well, do you so it? it depends on what we're doing with the event. Like sometimes we got a venue that helps us, and so we just we we set everything up, and then people just kind of roll to the venue and pick it up right. because th- we're there's so many different like kind of food delivery packages and stuff going on right now, which is awesome. I think the Bali community actually has been really cool. Expat community also has helped so much, like Project Nazi and like some of the other stuff that's come out of this has been really cool and I salute everyone who's done something. But we're different because we focus only on hospitality people. And it's people who are out of work and who don't have a job in the hospitality industry or who have been laid off or like, yeah, you know. Mm. And we kept it very focused like that. So it's not like... We're not going to the poorest area and have like do this whole entire transport thing and like set this whole entire thing up. It's like we have a list of people that we know need this and they come and grab it if they can, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, we've had some people come down from Singaraja to pick up a food package, and we're like, "Are you sure you want to do it?" He's like, "Well, the food package is worth like around." 200, 300 thou, and it's going to take me this much gas to get from here, Singaraja and back. So, wow. yeah, it's worth it, you know? And I was like, God damn, you know, it's, amazing, like, yeah. it's kind of, um, yeah, I mean, I wish we could do more than the food packages because actually a food package, the Sambaco, actually only lasts like about a week, you know? And it's like, you know, it's, it's a helping hand, but it's not like, it's not lifting someone actually up. I'm sure you. I mean, there's. A, you're always going to wish you could do more, especially yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially in these situations where you're yeah. you're helping people in in harsh situations. Yeah. You, you're always going to see what's not being done, right? Yeah. I guess that's the that's the thing. You know, it's very hard for anyone that works in humanitarian work to to feel like they are making too much of a difference because they're always seeing the the greater loss. But yeah. but I'm sure that you're, you're doing incredible things for so many people. Even yeah. that one a one week of food, man, for someone who hasn't got it. Exactly, you know, yeah. and we, so everyone's always asking, so what's actually in the food packages? Is like it's enough in the food packages so that like someone could like if someone's starving, they can eat. Mm. Or if someone's actually doing okay, they don't have to worry about the rice. They don't have to worry about the eggs, you know, like mm. they can maybe they Maybe use that money to buy uh, pulse for their electricity, you know, like their electricity bill, gas bill, gas bill, you know, whatever it is that they they sh- need to spend money on. Also, this two hundred thousand could help them in that sense if you yeah, think about sure. it more in monetary terms. Um, but this is why where I've been trying to take the Bali hospitality movement is we want to go into workshops, and so we did one uh, a couple of weeks ago at Genesis in Tamora Gallery. We we had a workshop for like 40 people and who are, everyone's kind of out of work and it was a CV building. Oh, okay. So we did bar management 
and um, leadership in a workplace, in an F&B workplace. And we got them certificates. We got them also new CV photos and everything. Oh, and it kind of made, made a whole day out of it. We gave them a, some food package as well. And we also did some uh, mental health stuff at the end of it. Oh, wow. Know? So it's teaching people how to fish as well. Yeah, you know. Okay. And so it was like, usually we do like 150 people food packages per per drop. kind of. But this one, we only did 40 because we did the workshops as well. Mm. So again, it's like, um, it's not really helpful until like jobs actually start to pop open again. But it's going along the sense of like, okay, we can help you right now, feed your mind a little bit, you know? That's a big part of it too, though. Yeah. I mean, someone sitting at home being frustrated with yeah. no avenue to understand how they're even going to have work again. Yeah. To, being, to having something to look forward to where they can come and meet other people in their same position, feel like they're being helped and, yeah. and learning. I mean, that the, 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 the morale that's boosted when someone feels educated in a situation yeah, yeah. where they feel at a loss, that's, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So that's where, because now this Bali hospitality movement, it's actually something I want to continue moving forward after if when COVID's actually gone. We're, we're, our slogan now is like, we can't wait for the day when um, food packages aren't needed. Yeah, sure. You know, but we're, we're still going to, we're going to still keep doing stuff. We want to keep doing the workshops. We're going to keep mm. moving forward, but we want to make, we want to become an only a workshop organization. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's you know, the, well, hopefully we can get to that point where it's like, yeah, we'll, do, we, we'll just do a bunch of workshops and continue doing that. And then you'd be seeing so many direct results. If you're putting on workshops, helping people gain skills and CVs and things yeah. to get work, you'd, you'd see direct results. I'm sure within a week, someone's contacting you and saying, hey, thanks for that. I just got a job because yeah. of that CV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of where I want to take this. We kind of like want to make it as um, a um, not hiring agency but something along those sorts so like mm. because i've been doing charity for so long and like actually i don't like the term of like a non-profit organization you know it's like we're doing good you should be able to support yourselves for doing good you know like people should be able to be we should be able to become a business we should be able to make businesses out of helping people yeah sure you know yeah. and like uh that's kind of where i want to take this poly hospitality movement become an become some sort of company organization later on where we support, we can hire people to work on the organization and we can help get people hired as well, you know, and like, because I, I think really the whole entire world looks at charity the wrong way. It's just like, oh, you're, you're only just giving and it's just like, you're just doing it for just for the good. It's like, yeah, of course. But like people should be able to support it for doing good. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, there's nothing like, wrong with, yeah, it's give and take. You, you know, know it's, everyone look, looks at a charity organization. It's just like, oh, they're just like an awesome group of helpers. Like, no, th those people should be employed. Well, there's, yeah. a, there's a, also a, a big part of that, that if you're, if you're working for a charity and you're just giving up your time constantly, you're not getting anything back from it yourself well then you yeah. need to have another job to support yourself and then and then of course your time is split up and yeah. you haven't got all the energy you you would normally have to put into that that charity yeah but yeah sure if you're if you've set up a business where people are um a nice well employed within mm. that business that then all their energy is focused on that right yeah, yeah you know and you get so much better like um commitment to it and then like new ideas pop out of it you know like i mean god bless everyone who's done any kind of charity work but and i've i've been on the other side of that where i've just been dragging away and like trying to do as much charity work as possible and like not getting anything back for it beyond the act of doing something good which is is awesome but there's only i mean i've been doing this for years you mm -hmm. know <laughs> it's not like it's not my first time doing this and it's like 
Oh yeah, we're doing something good. You really you know? do seem to be involved in a lot. <laughs> yeah. a, you know, there's every I see so many um, posts of you, do, you know, doing a DJ set somewhere yeah. for some cause. I'm like, man, this guy's not. Yeah, yeah, you, you really go full well, guns that, blazing. Well, that's the thing. Like before, before all of this, like I was actually properly supported that got other jobs coming in and stuff and so i was like oh yeah of course i'll like do a dj set for for a cause and i mean i'll continue doing that for the rest of my life no matter what if there's a cause to jump on and i can support in some way of course i'll do that but if it's my organization that kind of started i want it to be something where we can support everyone who does it because i know how it feels like yeah, to do sure. something for charity and like be struggling at the same time. Like, like look at Monday who's had to yeah. leave us. And I mean, me and myself, it's like, there's been moments of like trying to throw off this like charity donation. And it's like, even I was thinking like, fuck, this is, this is, <laughs> this is pretty fucking heavy right now. You know, yeah, sure. <laughs> I guess it's, it's uh, also keeping people on board too. I mean, if something's, purely a, a non-for-profit you know donate your time sort of thing if you're yeah. setting up an organization like that yeah there's always that risk that as people come come in to help you, you're sort of aware that how much can you ask of them really yeah you know yeah. and then like you can't ask too much because you mm. don't want to wear them out and then how long are they going to be here how much time have they got yeah but yeah i guess as soon as you're, you've set up a business where you can pay people for their time that that awkwardness it, it leaves and then yeah. you can just set up the parameters and the brown boundaries on how much they can put in and how much and they And then they give and, so much more also, you know, mm. like they, they work on it, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm helping with this cause, I'm helping. It's like, no, this is work, you know? Yeah, and, sure. I mean, it's, they should feel good. It's not, it's not like, oh, you're making money off of a charity kind of thing, like, or you people donate and you, you make money off of it. It's, it's, like, it's, it's amazing though how much, you know, people become cynical with anything like that. Yeah. They, it's very easy to judge from a distance whether yeah. someone's doing something for the right reasons or not. I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, it really should just, it real, all it really should come down to is are people being affected by this in a positive way? And if people exactly. on the perimeter and, and are, are coming out of this, with a happier state of mind and, yeah. and, and in a better position within their life, then what's what what's wrong with it? You know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Do you have you? What 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 is your outlook at the moment on, you know, at the crux of it? Are people going through malnutrition here? Are there like how bad is it? Because it's very hard for a lot of people to see. You know, you hear you know yeah. that that people are oh, people are going, starving and all this kind of stuff, but it's it's really hard to see it when you're not in the homes and you're not yeah. going and visiting people, and you're aware that there must be a lot of people in, in really terrible situations. But it's it, the biggest problem is mental starvation. You know, like it, in Indonesia, it's very easy to get food. Actually, you know, like you just oh, you can always get a, a bowl of nasi. You can always get a bowl of rice from somewhere. You know, even the most hard up person could get a, a, a someone to give them a meal like a, some nasi and an egg you know that's right. that's that you know that's one of the good things about bali and indonesia is like there will always be someone who says like can i have but it's this the, like they get a bowl of nasi at the end of it but it's that having to ask for mm. it and know that you're in a position where you cannot get that yourself yeah and like, i mean one time is fine two times is fine three times but constantly at the end of the week at the end of the day thinking like shit i don't have enough money for this i don't have mm. enough to do this you know that is what's eating away at people this is how people are like dying it's like 
their mental state is not good. Mm. People are being truly affected by this. It really goes hand in hand, doesn't it? it? You know, your, and your like, mental state and your opinion of yourself and yeah, all of that. You know, it really yeah. has an effect on your physical. Especially well-being. like these guys who have a family, you know, like our mothers or some. You know, like they're like these these women who work all day long, come back to their kids and stuff. And you're like, now that you cannot support your kid and stuff, you know, like that is definitely that takes a toll, you know. But like. I, I don't I haven't really seen anybody like starve mm. you know and like this it's not like it's not a war scene here you know it's not like a, it's not devastation you know it's not sure. like an earthquake mm. you know, I've been through some of the earthquakes and like in Lombok and that kind of stuff that was war zone mm. everything demolished you know but again there's help coming in all this stuff but here it's like it's it's actually kind of weirder and worse because everything's normal. Your house is here, still here. Mm. Everything's here, but you have nothing in it. You're, you're, you're. Yeah, you're, and it gets <laughs> to that point too, where that whole initial shock wave mentally of, oh my god, we're in a pandemic. Yeah, where everyone expects, you, you, you know, you almost justify why you're in such a fucked up position because yeah. it's such a known fact that we're in a pandemic. But, but then it gets to this longevity point where the the normality creeps back into it, where. Yeah it doesn't feel like you're in a pandemic anymore because everything's yeah. becoming very normal in yeah. terms of your situation. But at the end of the day, you're still fucked. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> exactly. yeah, it's almost like you, then you have to start making these you know, excuses for yourself as to yeah. why you're in such a bad position. Yeah. And then you like, when you make these excuses and you kind of like, you have to tell yourself like, this is what eats away at someone. Like they look like, every time that you have to like say something, you have to like motivate yourself again. You have to push yourself again. And it's like, you see like, well, Bali's coming back to normal. There's like places open up. There should be like, everything's normal and stuff. But like those people who are working, it are like, they made a hard decision of like, I'm going to work during the middle of a pandemic because I, so I can put food on my table. Mm. It wasn't like, because this is a, on the flip side of like, as a party person, DJ and all this stuff is awesome. All this place is open. We can go socialize. We can have fun again. But I'm seeing also on the back end of like the people who are going to work these, they're, they're just so thankful that they might have a job again, that they can make a little bit of money. And it's like, we don't know what they think about the pandemic. Mm. You know, maybe they are freaked out that mm. they're going to catch COVID, you know, and like yeah. rightly so, you know, like bringing up like a hundred people into a small confined space and like you have to serve them drinks on a, and like they're thinking about maybe they're going to catch it, but they're also thinking about like, if I don't do this, there's zero food at home. Yeah. You know? What or, a tough leverage point on the brain to, yeah. to even be thinking, wow, I've been told there's an opportunity to make some money for my family, but it means I've got to literally go into what I have been told is the worst possible place to go into, a, yeah. a room full of people sweating and heaving over a bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough position, huh? Yeah. I mean, you must have seen some um, some real incredible boosting of morale and, and and spirits when you were putting on those workshops. Like mm-hmm. that must be a real – it must be quite, you know, heartwarming to see people come yeah. into that environment and just – and feel like they're being looked after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like when we gave some of the rice packages, I I know like there's some people like have a weird thing about like taking something, but because we we're all in the hospitality industry and it's like we're all hospitality people also we kind of like it was there was people who kind of showed up 
they could grab their bag of nasi, but they also came and sat down and chilled for a bit. And they had a, they had a smoke. They had a chat with everyone. It was like, because uh, like the hospitality industry is very close, mm-hmm. even though there's like uh, hundreds of thousands of workers and like, throughout the whole entire <clears throat> island, they all kind of know each other. They worked here. They like already went, you know, so everyone was kind of like, had the chance to kind of chill for a second. So that was already cool for them, especially when it was like real proper lockdown and like it was kind of mm. like this is the only thing that we could kind of come out for. Um, but yeah, though when we did the mental health thing the other day, it was it was quite big also because it was what was the mental health thing? Oh, uh, sorry, the mental health workshop. All right, yeah, yeah so we we ended on some um, mental health um, building as well. Oh, okay, great. And leadership skills and all that yeah. kind of stuff is like to see people just be in an environment again where. It, wasn't like oh my god (laughs) covid oh my god i gotta work so hard oh my god this it was just like look you're here today you're gonna get a bag of rice at the end of it you know that and everything's gonna be cool you know like you're gonna be taken care of today so come and actually enjoy the workshop learn actually please learn something you know don't think about it today don't think about it just like think about like um getting all this and that's why i really like doing that genesis also is a really cool like ultra modern kind of hip kind of uh, environment and I think it was the first time for some people in a really long time maybe even some of the people who didn't get to go to university and straight away went into hospitality like bartending and stuff we kind of got them to sit down we had the instructor like proper with powerpoints and all this stuff you know it was like you could see on everyone's faces like Ah, oh, this is this is actually kind of cool. It, it you know? would be a real turnaround for people that are so used to rocking up to a shift and clocking on and just being under the under the gun. Like yeah. when you're when you're an event team and you're you're you know the bar staff or whatever, I'm sure the second you arrive on site, you're like bang, and then you know you might just be able to shove some food down your gullet at some point. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, for when you've got a, a two minute break, you can take. But generally, you're so under pressure, and no one's actually trying to look after your mental wealth, uh, yep. mental uh, well-being in that environment. Mm-hmm. So to see, yeah, so to turn around and be in a place where people are looking at you and going, "Hey, we're here to give you time and give yeah. you something to to take home for yourself." That's yeah. great. Yeah, what a huge difference. So, what's the? Um, I mean, what? How do people find out about this? And have you got anything set up to for people to donate? to this cause or yeah um actually i have some really cool people in australia who've been um helping us so we're, we're trying to set up a gofundme in australia is just yep. how that works but anybody who's here in indonesia we have an indonesian bank account um we've got bali hospitality movement on facebook easiest way we all answer that um and we have all our bank account details there as well. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll put up all the links so that anyone nice. listening to this can check it out. And, nice, nice. And get involved. And are you, outside of all the charity work, are you like, are you doing many gigs? Is there, for you just working as a DJ in yeah. that whole music industry scene, have you seen anything coming back or? No, not at you? all, actually. Yeah. Um, it's It's been very interesting as a dj because um i love djing and i love electronic music and it's been like one of those i mean you as a performer as well to perform in, in front of a crowd and get feed off that energy and kind of that mm. stuff and i i haven't i've played uh shit i can't remember my last gig <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. that isn't it you know, like I, I played a couple times last year but um i for sure haven't played in public this year yeah you know and that's been kind of hard and like i was wondering like it was, it was weird because just going on a personal level i was like i was feeling really weird like the last couple of weeks i was like i don't know why i, I hadn't even dj'd i hadn't even dj'd 
you know, just because um, I teach DJing now and it's kind of what's been keeping me going as one of my side hustles. And so I'm on the decks all the time, like teaching people, but it's not the same of like, I'm just going to play. Yeah. And then yeah. I did that the other day and I was like, there it was. Yeah. You know? I was like, there, there was that little feeling in the back of my head. I was like, something feels weird. You know, like I don't feel oh, right. Man, I know? know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. I, I hadn't set up. I mean, I hardly set up all my gear now because because of this, you know, yeah. because usually, you know, as much as I love setting up my gear and playing, yeah. it's usually, usually comes from, well, I need to practice my set or get, get mm-hmm. some new songs or, or work set. I've got an idea with some loops that I really want to perform at this next gig. Yeah. So I need to make sure I get that down. So there's all that. And because I haven't been setting it up and, and practicing or doing it, yeah, that same feeling creeps in of just like, God, I'm just, it's something missing. And yeah. even just recently I started, um, just playing just each night I would just get, get on Instagram and just play a few songs mm-hmm. just to, just cause I wanted to share music with people. Yeah. And just that feeling was like, Oh my God, that's right. There's yeah. <laughs> something beautifully satisfying, especially when you, when you do feel so isolated and alone yeah. in, in a house by yourself and without that connection, when you're so used to going out every week and yeah. looking at catch you know, locking eyes with someone while you're performing music for them. It's a yeah. beautiful trend. It's, a, it's some, something that passes between people when you're sharing that space. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a, immensely satisfying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially as like as as a DJ, and like I'm all about the frequencies and the like the big amplified sound and seeing mm. how like how a group of people can move with all these frequencies and bass frequencies and this low end going warm, warm, and like yeah. everyone kind of going like this and. Even like even on the like the dance floor perspective, you know, um, I, I love going to clubs and all that kind of thing. Also, and it's like that whole entire just like letting go and just dancing and just like mm. being a part of the music. That whole entire like how everyone kind of becomes like a school of fish, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like even though I'm DJing up here, I still like feel like ebb and flowing going every yeah. you know and like that's like one of the things where i was like i didn't know what was missing i didn't i didn't really realize that like i was missing those frequencies pretty yeah. much you know? it's an incredibly <laughs> beautiful moment of release no yeah. matter what music it is you're into mm-hmm. or whether you think that raving is a bunch of garbage or yeah, you know yeah. whatever your perspectives are at the end of the day that amount of people who don't know each other yeah. coming together just because of sound yeah, yeah. and allowing that sound to like affect their bodies and their minds in such a way that they are so happy to stand that close to each other and move in ways that would normally probably be too embarrassing to, you wouldn't move your body like that, but yeah, you just yeah, go, yeah. fuck it. And you let yourself go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, it often takes uh, a, a band or a DJ or someone to be at least at, sort of up there as a focal point so that you don't feel any any pressure or embarrassment yep. that you're among in that environment and you just get to let go and it's there's something so incredible about that people will always be drawn to it you know places yeah. where places where those sorts of things aren't even permitted so much or whether there's mm-hmm. too many rules and regulations on those sorts of gatherings they still they're still happening underground, you know, yeah. because people just need it. People just long for it. I think there's something like to be said about amplified sound, mm. you know, and like on big speakers into like a group of people, you know, and like, you know, like, if you're like, I mean, I love bands also. I, I grew up playing um, bass and I'm, I'm, I love live music as well. And that, that whole entire just like, even if it's like a, a bar of 10 people watching one band, you know, like that, 
having that wall of sound it's just come at you it, it, yeah. it's, it's therapy in some sort of way you know and everyone kind of just like loses themselves in it you know and yeah. when not having that anymore it's i think it affects a lot of people you know absolutely i remember <laughs> like that just that whole thing about amplification i mean i can play my acoustic guitar great but i remember that feeling of and I, I haven't got it here but this this fender twin reverb amp that i've i had back in australia i used to go on a on a holiday up the coast to and stay on this property that was like away from everyone up on top of a hilltop like in in farmland where there was no one around you know yeah. and i'd plug that amp in and turn it up to 11 yeah and i would literally i'd stand i'd get a 20 meter accord between the guitar and the, and the amp yeah. outdoors and i just that yeah. that feeling of something that amplified yeah, and the sounds yeah. you get out of an electric guitar and, and, mm. a, and an amp when it's turned up it's supposed to be turned up yeah you know, that exactly. gain that yeah, grit yeah. that rumble yeah it just blasts through you yeah something to say man for for music and and just what it does to people and how yeah. how it affects but i mean you know music is so drawn on as a as a as a thing to pull people out of uh out of trouble and out of mental depression and all mm. that kind of stuff yeah, I mean it's great. Yeah. Well, man, I think we should wrap it up. But, but great chatting to you. Yeah, like you just too, and you know we haven't really caught up over the years, but I yeah. see you around all the time. And like I think we we first met probably on a gig back in the day. So yeah, it's yeah. good to actually have a proper chat with you and find out what you're doing. Exactly. You know, it's but, funny. Yeah. Like I know this happens so much in Bali, where you like, I know quite a few people, but it's always like. Um, you meet them out or you kind of meet them on a gig or like a, as especially as a event organizer, like I'd be booking people or like just kind of organizing the whole entire thing. And like, you never actually get to chat. With yeah. People, so. It's such a common thing. <laughs> hey, that you see each other in certain environments and you also due to that, you only know one aspect of someone, Yeah, you know, and it's, it's really nice doing this podcast too, actually, because one, you get the chance to sit down, but also because we are just so isolated at the moment, yeah, it's yeah. nice to just go, okay, here's some time to actually get to know what someone's really doing under the surface. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, awesome. Thanks for stopping well, by. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, and we'll stick all those um, those links up yes, so people please. can get to know what you're doing. And Bali Hospitality Movement. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Great to have you here. All right. Have a good day. Down 
Great. 